I was um, originally injured during a violent crime, um, and I intervened during a domestic situation and ended up becoming injured as a result of that. Welcome to Plant-Based DFW with Dr. Riz and Maya. Dr. Christopher McLean began his journey to become a chiropractor after surviving a near-fatal traumatic brain injury in 2009. After a long and arduous ride on the medical merry-go-round, he found his way to chiropractic care. It was the only treatment that resulted in rapid improvements. Dr. McLean suffered a double skull fracture, an orbital blowout, and was considered a candidate for a halo brace to stabilize his nearly broken neck. He was told that without spinal surgery, he would become paralyzed. He was told that without eye surgery, he could lose his sight on his left eye. Dr. McLean is quite mobile and flexible today with normal eyesight, and he had none of the recommended surgeries. Because chiropractic was so powerful at helping him recover, he opted to tackle the long and challenging path of becoming a doctor of chiropractic. At the age of 43, he packed up his hopes and dreams and moved to LA to complete the chiropractic program at Southern California University of Health Sciences. After the program, he moved to San Diego and established his own private practice. He now offers an integrative, holistic lifestyle medicine practice that includes chiropractic care, hyperbaric oxygen therapy, photonic light therapy, custom orthotics, and ergonomic footwear solutions, and helps patients as a health coach to pick goals and manage them. He has also developed a five-pillar approach to healing. He includes functional neurology, optimal nutrition, optimal exercise, stress management, and social group support. You can visit him at youroptimalhealthchiropractor.com. Let's meet Dr. Christopher McLean. Welcome, Dr. Chris. Thank you very much for having me. My husband and I met you in 2018 when we went to San Diego for the Plantrition Conference. And we had the opportunity to visit your practice and also to see your hyperbaric chamber. Ever since then, you've been busy and you've gone back to school for more training. So I thought it would be nice to catch up and see um, what you're up to. Great. Thank you very much. You've been vegan for quite a while. So I bet you have seen quite a few changes in our society, right? Yes, I have. I've been vegan. I just had my 30-year vegan anniversary here in October. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) And um, that's been a very exciting and fun journey as well. I bet you've seen a lot of changes in those 30 years, like not only the amount of people that are becoming plant-based, but also the businesses and the products that are popping up. I have seen quite a few changes, yes. So tell us your story of how you became vegan. Okay. You know, today, a lot of people are plant-based or vegan for a whole list of different reasons. And I fall in the category of many of those myself. Um, mostly, it was just kind of uh, getting grossed out by some meat kind of thing. That's where it started. And then as I uh, began to eliminate red meat, chicken, fish, poultry, and other kinds of uh, animal products, I felt better so much faster. Mm-hmm. And so I'd say the thing that's motivated me and kept me sticking with it for so long is just how simple it's been and how wonderful that I've felt all along. It's interesting that you would say that it's simple um, because I can't imagine what life was like 30 years ago. I'll tell you the honest truth. I think that, you know, even though we have more 
um, alternative choices today, it's really not that different. We had plant-based burgers back then. We had plant-based hot dogs and all kinds of fake meats and things. So I'm not really sure that, you know, where we are today is really considered necessarily an improvement on that because, you know, we should just be focusing on the whole foods and the grains and the beans and everything and not trying to convert something into something we used to eat. Well, today the corporations have made it very easy for us to continue to eat processed foods. So we may have moved away from animal products, but now we're eating vegan processed foods that are just as tasty as the foods that we used to eat. The the folks that are concerned about animal welfare are okay with the health risks that may come with some of the alternatives. And I, and I completely agree with that. It's, it may be better as a transition for people to eat the, you know, the plant-based alternatives and that ultimately what that does is it opens up many doors for people. There's so many different places that offer different choices. I ate at a Himalayan restaurant the other day and who would have ever thought that you could get some really delicious plant-based food from a Himalayan restaurant, but they were amazing. I think of it as taking an adventure. Himalayan restaurant sounds delightful. Um, I agree, you know, since I became plant-based, I discovered that I enjoy the food so much better. A purple sweet potato, for example, tastes like candy to me. It is so wonderful. And all these natural flavors that I now can pick up from the um, whole foods are incredible. Gosh, I'm so so glad you said that. It's amazing because one of the things that I actually noticed right away when I began the plant-based journey is that I got my taste back and the flavors, the natural flavors of those foods, you know, you don't need to put salt on them. You don't need to put sugar on them. So last year during our conversation, you told me about how the book A Diet for a New America by John Robbins had had such an impact on your life years ago when you first became a vegan. And so I finally read the book. And I could not believe how relevant this book still is today. Um, He talks about the leading causes of death, almost like an early version of how not to die. So um, he mentions food choices and how they affect our health and our happiness. He mentions animal agriculture and how animals suffer. But also what I learned in this book was the impact on our planet. Can you talk about that? The biggest argument for a plant-based diet besides the health benefit to humans is the saving of the natural resources. People don't understand how much water and land and gas it takes to produce foods, to feed to animals, to then eat those animals. It couldn't be a more wasteful system. What we should be thinking about is how can we get more and more of these plant-based foods directly in front of people instead of wasting them and processing them through animals. Well, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's just about sharing the information through social media and various ways. I think this information has been around for quite a while, and we just need to work towards sharing it. Dr. Chris, I was really fascinated by the fact that you became a chiropractor as a result of having had such success with your own injuries. Correct. And I was um, originally injured during a violent crime. Mm -hmm. And I intervened during a domestic situation and ended up becoming injured as a result of that. And I'll be honest with you, I, I didn't even know up from down three days after my injury. And so when I was filling out the paperwork 
it's like, you know, you would put a check mark next to anything. And I didn't realize that by putting a check mark next to that, I was planning to file a civil suit against the person who injured me, that that um, excluded me from being um, taken care of by the California Victim Compensation Program. And uh, in fact, I was on the road to go check myself into the hospital up in LA. And the lady called me and said, hey, just go ahead and turn around because we can't do the surgery you, since you said you were going to file a civil suit. Um, I found my way to alternatives because I still needed to get taken care of. Okay, so surgery might not be the answer, but you still have a problem. Sounds like you were in a really tough place um, during that time in your life. And yet the chiropractic work um, really helped in your recovery. So what happened next? When I felt better from my care, um, it was great because I was able to go back to work and I went back to work and got a job as a retail manager for a Sprint store and then showed up to work six months later one day and we had been downsized. Well, I could go get another job. I could you know, start my business up again. Uh, or if you could do what you really wanted to do and what you feel really empowered to do, what would it be? So I answered that question and it said that I wanted to get involved with showing people how a plant-based diet could really change the course of their life. And I found online one day, an online course to become a health coach. A lot of the things that they taught me as a health coach, I incorporate today as a practitioner. So these are things that we add to the treatment that we do here. So I think it's really nice to have had that experience despite some of the challenges. Mm -hmm. And so once I was in the program, I realized that I wanted to take my education a little bit further than that. And that's when I decided to, to apply to become a chiropractor. Your chiropractic practice actually includes integrative and holistic lifestyle medicine. Like I mentioned earlier, you have a five-pillar approach. This is not something that I think of uh, most chiropractors incorporate. If you say the word chiropractor, mm -hmm. people automatically think about maybe a neck getting cracked or a back getting cracked. You know, you're the back-cracking specialist. And while it's true that we do focus on um, spinal care, um, there's quite a bit of research and evidence nowadays about what chiropractic is really doing on a neurological level. Can you tell us more about functional neurology? What is it and what does that look like? If you put your hand on a cold table, you're stimulating the cold receptors in your brain. And so if we manipulate a part of your body, we're impacting that part of your brain. And in my opinion, we're increasing the function between the target area and the part of the brain that controls that target area. Is functional neurology a common practice among most chiropractors? Well, functional neurology is kind of a branch within chiropractic. It's sort of, I want to call it that people who have a special interest in understanding a receptor-based system. It's kind of like what I was saying before about if mm -hmm. you touch something cold, then you have a place in your brain that receives that information. It's a stimulus response machine. And so the quality of the inputs of the information determine the effectiveness of the integration of that information and the quality of the response from that information. And so it's a way of using uh, advanced form of diagnosis and examination to really understand where the breakdowns are. 
and then mm-hmm. treatments can be geared towards um, upregulating any processes that may be uh, less than optimal. So what are some of the common conditions that you adjust for? We have a workforce that sits a lot in chairs and then they're out and around driving around in their car mm-hmm. and all these things promote uh, what I would call imbalanced postures. So if you contract muscles on one side, all the muscles on the other side are going offline. You need to have constant stimulation from your body to your brain, from all of your body parts. And so when we sit for long hours, we're actually allowing certain body parts to not stimulate our brain properly. If you look at the list of common causes of disease, the neurological components, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia, um, even multiple sclerosis, Lou Gehrig's disease. These are all neurodegenerative conditions that, in my opinion, really come from an improperly stimulated brain. Can you tell us about your tissue work? What does that look like? If you were sitting here and saw me doing it on somebody, it might look like massage. I use a couple different tools. Uh, fascia release tools. They're little metal tools that are dual beveled and they actually allow me to physically remove uh, scar tissue adhesions. And so we just come through with these tools essentially and we remove adhesions that have built up in the fascia and that allows the increased range of motion in the joints and therefore activates the one of the main ways that the brain and body communicate, which is joint position sense. Okay. And at what point do you address nutrition with your patients? Well, in the beginning, it's really more of a questionnaire process. And you'd say, so, you know, are there any concerns that you have about your health or the way that you're eating? Are there any changes that you've been looking to make? The most powerful way for me to help you is to help you with nutrition. Uh, I had a patient come in two days ago who actually was one of the main ones. She responded to me just like, well, that's never going to happen when I told her that I think she should be plant-based. And she came in and said that her and her boyfriend have been plant-based for the last two weeks. She's worked with me for over two years now. And just being a little chirpy bird in the ear every once in a while, when she got sick or this, and I said, well, you know, Don't forget that what I told you in the beginning about becoming plant-based, when people are ready to do the transition, I just point them in the direction of all the existing free resources that are already out there. That's amazing. That's exactly why we need to share the information about nutrition with every patient that we see. Yes, and I think that it's interesting because psychologically, the patients who have been willing to take an approach like an elimination protocol Mm-hmm. are more likely to do it if you call it an elimination protocol. And essentially what it is, is it's a plant-based diet. <laughs> There's right. no animal products. Again, I, I mentioned Dr. McDougall before, and he has a great book called The Digestive Tune-Up. If these foods are causing these reactions, then here's foods you should eat that don't cause those reactions. And here's foods you can eat that are anti-inflammatory that will help reduce some of those reactions. We briefly talked about what happens to the body when we're sedentary, but can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, and here's an important thing that everybody knows that muscles can become damaged. We watch sports on Sundays and people get tackled and we see shoulders getting bent backwards and knees hyperextending and things like that. We understand about those kind of injuries. 
Um, we understand about compression types of injuries, but we don't really understand one of the main mechanisms of muscles becoming injured, which is a process called hypoxia. So we talked a little bit before about if you make a fist, that your blood isn't flowing through your arm at the same rate. And so if you're sitting there typing on your computer all day long, then you're essentially over-contracting one set of muscles and your body will actually react to that over-contraction and hypoxia with the same response that a microtrauma would have or a crushing injury might have or some kind of a gliding or friction injury. Um, essentially, the decreased oxygen, oxygen supply to that muscle leads to scar tissue formation. The body actually thinks that it's injured even when it isn't. People can get injuries through over-contracting things. And so what, what's one of the ways that people go and do over-contractions? Well, I go to the gym five days a week and I spend an hour, you know, pushing these weights up over my head. So what you're saying is that we need to move all the time throughout the day. How many times a day should a river stop flowing? What do you recommend people do when they're sitting all day at a desk? Put some like cha-cha music on in the back <laughs> and just like keep wiggling your toes and, you know, moving your legs around and you can, you know, push your spine forward and push your spine backwards. You can stand up, you can walk around. Let's move on to stress management and how stress itself can actually affect the body. Yeah, one of the most important things that I can teach somebody, if I had only one thing to do to, to help people, I would teach them about deep breathing and diaphragmatic breathing. We, we don't realize that we're taking our ears to our shoulders with every breath because we're being chased by a lion all the time. You know, we're stressed out and we're, we're not getting enough oxygen into our bodies by breathing that way. I think honestly, um, if you go and look at the work of Dr. Dean Ornish, he also um, incorporates a pillar style approach to the way he works with people. Mm -hmm. And what he'll tell you is, the, you know, we'd say, well, the exercise and the nutrition are the most important. But he would actually say that the socialization and the stress management aspects, the psychosocial factors, have the biggest effect on um, overall health. I suggest taking a walk. I suggest deep breathing. You know, I suggest listening to some music that you like or, you know, things like that. And so. Yes, actually, I recall in our previous interview that you mentioned the importance of a social group. Um, you told us about how you offered cooking classes and various lectures and guest speakers and things like that. What are you working on now? Yeah, I actually, I saw that you guys were doing something similar and, and I, I call it a walk the talk. <laughs> and I know you guys have a national yeah. organization you belong to yeah. and that's wonderful. Uh -huh. And, um, you know, it just allows me to incorporate a, a discussion with some physical activity. It's optimal exercise. It's optimal socialization. It's optimal stress management. It's actually stimulating to your brain. How often are your walks? Um, I try to do an event at least once a month. What about cooking classes? Do you offer those? We haven't done any cooking classes in a while. Um, we were doing a weekly discussion series at a local um, vegan market, there's a lot of opportunities for, you know, social events to be scheduled. Yeah, lots of opportunities for gatherings. That sounds awesome. So let's move on to your hyperbaric oxygen chamber. Tell us about that. Okay, fantastic. 
you know, the hyperbaric oxygen chamber is a healing modality that I learned about when I was in school. You know, having a traumatic brain injury makes somebody with that condition subject to um, subsequent head injuries. During my school, I had two pretty significant concussions. And after the first one, I was advised to drop out of the program. It was the 10th week. We were getting ready to start our practical and written examinations for that trimester. And they said, you shouldn't even look at your phone. You shouldn't have your computer on. You need to make sure to get extra rest and all this kind of stuff. And I said, well, there's no possible way. We have 10 chapters to read tonight, for example. And so one of the main clinicians at the health center at my school referred me out to somebody that she knows who had a hyperbaric oxygen chamber. And over the course of several months, I completed about 40 hours of uh, hyperbaric oxygen therapy. And it was amazing, was able to salvage my school experience because of that. Mm-hmm. And I think that it actually enhanced my learning and my ability to re- retain and remember things. So basically, you get inside a pressurized chamber, it's soft-sided, and it's only able to produce 1.3 atmospheres. So it's considered mild hyperbaric oxygen therapy, as differentiated from the hard metal chambers that you might find in hospitals. Um, and those are more geared towards patients who've had gas embolisms from diving or gas gangrene or some other very recognizable conditions that benefit from the um, hard-sided chambers. What are some uh, additional benefits and improvements that uh, people can see from being in the hyperbaric chamber? Well, (laughs) you've heard the term antioxidant and so antimicrobial. And so when we give your 90% of the energy in the cells of your body actually is driven by oxygen. Mm -hmm. And so all of the things that we talked about before, stress, inflammation, poor food choices, um, you know, maybe overexercising, leading to inflammation, things like that. Mm -hmm. Those things are all really benefited by the experience of going in the chamber for an hour. So in other words, we just bathe your body and your cells. We hypersaturate the plasma. um, We hypersaturate the serum. And so if you have damaged areas, the oxygen can flow between the cracks, so to speak, and it leads to things like creating new blood vessels. So new blood vessels that can deliver more oxygen and heal those tissues faster. Mm-hmm. And so it really becomes more of a recuperative and reparative type of a therapy. Um, and you'll have the best nap of your life. It sounds like you offer a variety of different treatments that can all contribute to uh, healing and improving a condition. Well, and I think that really brings up a great point because most people have this mentality of just doing one thing. Like, can't you just give me a pill? Can I just take a pill for that? Yes. They don't do combining of things. So when you combine all these different pillars, people really do get amazing results. So was it the adjustment? Was it the fact that you took a walk or added an apple? Or was it the fact that you went in the chamber or with the lights? The lights can be used to increase the benefits of the chamber. 
So we have a battery pack. We can send you inside the chamber and put a blue and red face mask on your face. And it helps with collagen formation. It helps take out the wrinkles in your face. It helps stimulate your pineal gland so that you sleep better. You have less stress. There's so many major benefits that are derived from the combining of all these things. Mm -hmm. That's what really drives me to offer so many things. It's just really a matter of asking patients what level of optimization do they want. Mm -hmm. And some people are looking for more. And I've been really amazed at how people will do things like they'll come in, they'll go in the chamber for an hour. Then they'll come out of the chamber and get treated on the table where I'll do soft tissue work, add the lights, um, discuss about nutrition, discuss about their stress. And just amazing to me that I thought, well, it's kind of like they're only going to do all the cart things. They'll order mm -hmm. or they'll order that, but they won't order the combo meal. And I've been really surprised by the number of people opting for the combo meals. So you're currently working on a fellowship in early childhood, and you've mentioned working with autistic children. Can you tell us about that? Sure. Well, and like I said before, you know, chiropractors don't treat things like diabetes or autism, but we understand the underlying ways that specific populations have unique challenges, like the diabetic population with the peripheral neuropathy. Mm -hmm. You know, if you can't feel your feet, that can be a really big problem in terms of how you walk and that can impact your back. But autistic children, um, you know, what we're really dealing with is a spectrum of disorders. And there's 13 different conditions that fall onto the spectrum of um, autism. And so one of the things that we do when, like I mentioned before, with the neurology training is that we can do some examinations and through working with folks like Dr. Robert Melillo, I've learned how to test for persistent primitive reflexes. And these are just neurological protective mechanisms that are, that are active in babies that are there in place of the development of the nervous system. Okay. And interestingly, we found that between 30 and 40% of adults and children have some level of retained primitive reflexes. And so let's just use the analogy of dominoes. Mm -hmm. You set up 10 dominoes, you have to knock the first one down in order for the other nine to fall. Mm -hmm. That first domino falling is the um, integration of the primitive reflex. Okay. It allows the development of other neurological functions to happen. Mm -hmm. In the absence of that, you could literally be dealing with um, some type of persistent lack of integration. Mm -hmm. And so there's things like um, a spinal gallant reflex, for example. Let's say the baby's lying on their back and you take your finger and you trace it from the side of their pelvis to the middle part of their back. And if it's present, the baby will kind of arch their back in that direction mm -hmm. as a response. And so Interestingly, a lot of times when we're either working on children or working on adults, we do a lot of what we call palpation, which is just touching people, which, you know, one of the reasons that chiropractors are different because most doctors don't touch people. Mm -hmm. We're very hands-on. And so while we're doing our hands-on things, sometimes these 
reflexes um, reveal themselves. How different is your approach and your treatment towards an autistic patient as opposed to a patient who may just have a bodily injury, for example, or some other neurological problem that they're dealing with? Yeah, well, there's been a lot of parents who have brought children in who have been diagnosed on the spectrum. And um, some of them have had uh, the existence of the primitive reflexes. Um, Some of them have had other kinds of challenges and stuff, but they're, they're not necessarily different from other regular patients that we deal with. But because of, I think that the thing that's really the most different about the autistic kids is that because, like I said before, we're activating receptor-based systems. Mm-hmm. They may have under-stimulated parts of their brain. And mm-hmm. so by using the body as a way of stimulating the brain, mm-hmm. we can affect um, changes. And so mm-hmm. some of the changes that we've seen are improvements in eye contact, improvements in socialization, increased calmness, better sleep. Um, and, and one of the really amazing things is improvements in digestion. Because I think most people don't realize that children that are on the spectrum really do have a lot of problems with their digestion. Mm-hmm. And they have a unique um, gut microbiome to oh, the general really? population. Mm-hmm. Oh, how so? Like- well, when we test them, we find that about 80% of their population has a condition that we call increased intestinal permeability. It's also known as leaky gut. Uh And a lot of parents, and this is where maybe the nutrition side of it comes in, because um, a lot of parents didn't realize that um, specific foods like cheese or bread can have morphine-like effects with those children. Mm -hmm. And so it's deemed as they don't like textures, they're fussy with their foods. What we might be really dealing with is casomorphins mm-hmm. or gluteomorphins. And what do those sports sound like? They sound like morphine and opioids in the brains of those children because those particles of foods are able to pass through um, the blood-brain barrier by making it through the gut barrier and leading to some level of inflammation in the brain that's not seen in some other types of populations. And so we've done things like intervene with food changes. What keeps you motivated about working with autistic children? What's driving my interest in um, having patients with those conditions is pretty much everybody who comes in here gets a almost light coming on, light bulb look in their eyes mm. after you've reconnected things. And they're, they're just like, whoa. I just feel so in my body right now. And it's like somebody just turned the lights on in the dark room. Or maybe you've seen these videos of people that are colorblind who are gifted glasses that enable them to see colors. Right. And if you can see the look on their face when they see colors for the first time, many of them often cry and get emotional. Mm -hmm. And I see that reaction daily with patients who have lived with chronic pain. Mm -hmm. And they've thought that there's nothing that's ever going to be done to take it away. But then all of a sudden, when they realize that it's going away, they're like, whoa. But that bright light is so big in the autistic children. Um, One of the children that I was working on is 16 years old. Mm -hmm. And um, they had um, done a bunch of hyperbaric sessions and um, 
you know, added in more fruits and vegetables and had some adjustments. Mm-hmm. And when they first came in, they were very low eye contact. Um, their socialization was low. And w- just one day the mother brought in a poem that the son had written at school. And ironically, the teacher from the class actually chased the mother down to make sure that she had this poem in her hands because it was like, (laughs) first of all, here's this poem. And second of all, what did you guys do? Because this seems like a different kid all of a sudden. My goodness, these are significant changes. And I can understand how wonderful it would feel for a teacher to see a student progress that way. Yeah, one of the children um, was 12 years old and they were very fidgety. You know, they had some poor eye contact. And one of the things that we found was a primitive reflex that was persistent. And just through doing some stimulation work, we were able to get that um, reflex to integrate. And it took, I'm going to say, you know, a weekly visit for you know, one day a week for about 12 weeks. And then all of a sudden it was just, we, we seemed to have crossed a bridge and this child was in a special school and was, you know, in eighth grade getting ready to think about whether or not they could go to high school. And the parents and the teachers all came to the conclusion um, prior to his treatment that he was going to have to stay in the special school and he wasn't really mature enough or ready to go to high school. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> this makes me really so happy to hear this. Last week, his mom came in and she's telling me that he started at a regular high school this year. Wow. Oh, my gosh. How gratifying to be in your position and to have that impact on a child. My God. And, and so, you know, yeah. obviously, like I said before, the people who got the best results were those who combined things. And he wasn't just getting care from me. He -hmm. was getting care from multiple practitioners. And so I don't want to sit here and take all the credit for the changes that happened with him. And so just following these five pillar lifestyle approaches, none of those pillars involved taking medications Mm -hmm. or getting surgeries. Mm -hmm. Dr. Chris, I think that your story is a fascinating one. You went from suffering your own traumatic um, brain injury to taking a path of chiropractic work. Because it worked for you, now you're seeing it work on autistic children and just every day in your own patients. I really admire that. And also you've incorporated lifestyle medicine approaches by bringing in the conversation about nutrition and creating social opportunities for people to come together. Um, Cooking classes, lectures, and now walks you're doing as well. So I think it's incredible that you've done this. Um, I want to mention your website again. It's youroptimalchiropractor.com. That is one of the best ways to get a hold of me. Are you on Facebook as well? I do. I have a Facebook page under the same name, Your Optimal Health Chiropractor. And what's next for you? You have plenty on your plate, but what else are you working on? Well, I'm just, um, you know, continuing with my daily training and learning. I set aside time each day to, you know, read on different topics and um, I focus on my own health. I walk three miles on the beach every day. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to potentially completing my um, neurology training. I've done about 75% of the courses that I need to get the 
specialization um, credential. Uh, I don't think you need the specialization credential to have that understanding and to do that type of work, but it certainly um, is the reward. Dr. Christopher McLean, it was a pleasure having you on our show. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank Thanks. you. Been listening to the Plant Based DFW podcast show. If you like our content, please like, share, and leave a review. We wouldn't mind a five star review. Our goal is to provide quality episodes to help support the community.